Sounds like we're taking over the rest of the year, Greg. <laughs> um, if you are a young adult uh, or you know of a young, young adult that would be interested in coming and joining us in community, um, yeah, we have a really awesome group of young adults here at Emmanuel, and we, we meet on a Thursday evening. We won't be meeting this Thursday because of CatCon, to be confirmed, but pretty sure that's the case. Um, if you are young adults, we would love to invite you to join us. Um, we also, on Tuesdays, the girls, uh, the young adult girls meet at 5 o'clock here at Emmanuel for a ladies' Bible study, and the men come afterwards at 7 p.m. for the, the men's Bible study, and that's really been, really been a highlight. So yeah, I just encourage you to invite friends, come join yourself, we'd love to have you. So without further ado, I'd like to invite up, um, well, we're going to have Brett and Nicole sharing today, so we're going to have two people sharing. Um, I just encourage you to open your hearts. Um, I know both these guys really well, and their heart for the gospel is just really, really amazing, and um, yeah, I'm really excited to receive this, so yeah, please help me welcome up Brett. Um, thanks, Cam. Um, yeah, so I'm always very excited when I get a chance to share in front of the church, um, just because it's an opportunity for me to get fresh revelation and like really dig into a topic. Um, and the seed for today's preach really got planted when me and my sister were having a, a discussion, and I can't really remember how I got onto the topic, but we were discussing the Lord's Prayer, you know, as, as one does in casual conversation. Um, and the part of the Lord's Prayer that we were struggling with is maybe a too strong a term, but de discussing was Matthew 6, 12, um, which says, and forgive us our debts, or as, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Um, and we're just trying to figure out, okay, so does this mean we need to ask continually for forgiveness? Are we forgiven once for all? I mean, yeah, this sounds a little bit conditional, right? Um, and then if you read on to Matthew 6, 14, it gets a bit more hardcore. It says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Um, which, again, at first glance can be quite intimidating. Um, I mean, I know there's times when a car goes through a, a robot when it's load shedding and it's meant to be a four-way four stop, and I don't know if I've forgiven those guys. And to be fair, I don't think I've forgiven ESCOM for the load shedding in the first place. So there's definitely some unforgiveness in my heart, right? Um, so I really wanted to dig into this because, I mean, I know... I know I know my identity in Christ is as someone who is forgiven. That, that is who we are. Um, and that title, as forgiven, is stamped onto our identity. It's etched into the way that we live our lives. Um, and really begin, understanding that and having revelation about that is what changed my life. So I know that's my identity. So I'm trying to figure out how we deal with what these verses say. Um, and fortunately, throughout the New Testament, that identity as forgiven is shouted plainly and boldly. Um, and I got so excited when, when Matt opened this um, sermon up today with Colossians, or is it Corinth, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19, because um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, 
God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Another verse that comes to mind is Colossians 2, 13 to 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So there's, there's so much throughout the New Testament that speaks to our, our identity as forgiven and our identity as new creations. Um, and not only that, God goes a step further. He says we're forgiven, but he also calls us righteous. He also calls us holy. He also calls us heirs with Christ. Um, so Romans 4, 5 says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So we, there's no work that we need to do. Our faith, all we need to do is have faith in God, and we are counted as righteous. Right? So that is our identity, and we need to hold that firm as we look back at that verse. So when I was trying to figure out, okay, so where's the clue to unlocking what we've just read? Um, and I think if we take a step back, and we look at Colossians 2 again. I'm just going to read from by cancelling. So by cancelling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So when Jesus was preaching to or speaking to his disciples, he hadn't yet passed, died and been raised to the dead to nail our sins to the cross. So we didn't have access to that unconditional forgiveness. And how blessed is it that now we have access to that unconditional forgiveness? And it's, it's that in that identity, through that lens of grace, that we can look back at what he was saying. Right? So as we grow in that understanding of our identity in him, as we root ourselves as ones who were worthy of judgment and condemnation, God would have been completely justified in that having been his response to us. But instead, he forgave us our sins, he called us righteous and holy, he raised us up, made us alive with Christ, made us heirs to Christ. If we look at our identity as that, and we, we remind ourselves and turn back to that being our identity, it then empowers us to forgive others. So it's a shift, a lens of grace that we look back at his words. Um, so, yeah, it's... The identity that we have in Christ is what allows us to interpret those words with life and not as something of self-righteousness, right? And, okay, so I was thinking, okay, cool, we've, we've established as we get our identity settled as those, those who are forgiven, it empowers us to forgive others of their sins against us. And moving, uh, taking that a step further is how do we deal then with our own sin in our own lives, right? Because we've just read we are new creations, we are... We are made anew, but obviously everyone still struggles with sin. Um, God goes so far as to say in 1 John 1.18, Paul says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So in the Bible, it's stated plainly that we still all have sin. Um, and it, it is a struggle for a lot of people. And I think in that struggle, sometimes we forget of that freedom we have in that identity as forgiven. And it becomes a, a striving to please God. We don't want to let God down, so it's okay, look, I'm going to try really hard, Lord, not to let you down. I'm, 
going to work my hardest to make sure that I don't sin. Um, and obviously, we, we all still fail. And it's, God is a good God, and he, he wanted us, He gave us tools to deal with this. He didn't leave us unequipped. Um, and the tool that He gave us was repentance. And again, at first glance, that can also be a, a scary thing. I, you can get a picture of like a fire and brimstone preacher saying, you shall repent, you know. And, and we're going, okay, yes, I promise I'm sorry for my sin. I promise I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to work as hard as I can to make sure I don't do it all anymore. I feel so bad about my sin, but I'm going to work to make sure I don't do it again. And, and that is a picture that a lot of people have of repentance. But that is not what godly repentance is. Godly repentance is, yes, Lord, I... I acknowledge that I've messed up. I acknowledge that I'm worthy of judgment, but through your son, I am forgiven, I am redeemed. It's through your works that I am made holy. And we turn from our sin back to our identity in Christ. So it's a, not a turn from our sin to I'm trying not to sin. It's a turn from our sin back to Christ. And as we focus our gaze back on him, as we realign our identity with him, that's going to be where we get change. A lot of people speak of repentance as a 180-degree shift, and it's a 180-degree shift from sin to God. And obviously, as we focus on God, we're going to be focusing in the opposite direction. Um, so that repentance is it's a renewing of our mind to our identity in Christ. And it's, again, it's focusing on who we are in Christ and the, the promises and just all that He's given over us. You know, it's His grace that we focus on. It's His, his identity that He's spoken into us. Um, and what is really exciting is that repentance is a form of renewing the mind. And there's a lot of scriptures in the Bible that speak of when we renew our mind, we will be changed. Um, so the next one I wanted to speak on was Romans 12.2, which says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of the mind. So as we repent, we renew our mind to Christ. We contemplate Him. We contemplate His grace for us. And as we renew our mind, Romans 12, 2 says, we will be transformed. And when we are transformed, we are not conformed to this world. Right? Another verse that is really nice is Titus 2, 11 to 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So what is training us to renounce ungodliness? It's God's grace. So as we focus on God's grace, what He has brought for us, as of our identity in Him, we get trained up. It's not us striving to bring to live ungodly lives. It's us relaxing in God's grace, focusing ourselves and our identity back on who we are in Him. Um, so, yeah, when I was preparing for this preach, um, I was listening to some preachers by Tim Keller, and one of the things that he said, which stuck out to me, is that a characteristic of a Christian life is gradual but inevitable change as we slowly change to reflect Christ. Um, and, and how do we achieve that gradual but inevitable change? It's by renewing our minds to God. It's by repenting, and repenting being a turning from sin back to Christ, our focus back to Christ, rooting our identity in Him again, renewing our mind to Him, contemplating His grace, making sure that as we contemplate His gate, we realign ourselves with our identity in Him. 
So can you see the bigger picture that we're trying to, to paint here is as we root our identity in him, as we understand that and take it in, we are empowered to forgive people. As we root ourselves in our identity in him, as we contemplate him and renew our minds to him, we are transformed. So everything points back to God and to his grace and us then just rooting ourselves in that. So, yeah, there's, there's so much hope that comes from that. It's, Greg often preaches of a faith rest life and the faith rest life comes when we root ourselves in our identity in Christ and renew our minds to what he has to say. So, yeah, I hope, I hope that gives a little bit of hope to people here that, you know, as we root our identity in Christ, we are transformed. Um, and it will be gradual and it will have its ups and downs and it might not be a, a once-off one thing, but as we continue to repent, continue to renew our minds to God, there, there will be change. Nicole here. <laughs> All right, I'll be taking the next session. <laughs> All right. <laughs> she ran for the hills. Cool. So next up we have Nicole. Uh, can we just give another round of applause to Brett for that? That was amazing. Thanks, Brett. Yeah, so next we have Nicole coming to share, and um, yeah, really excited to receive Nicole. Thank you. Okay, hello everyone, I'm here. <laughs> um, it's so beautiful to see all of you here and it feels very different standing here for a change instead of in one of the seats, just a little bit different. Um, but I'm really just so encouraged looking at all of your beautiful faces. So yeah, just also really grateful for this opportunity and just not only to be sharing, but the opportunity that God has so beautifully created here today. Um, yeah, since it's so strongly during worship, I think. Matt and Cam also touched on it a bit, like God is in this place. The song we were singing, he is surely in this house. Um, and that's my prayer for us all today, that we would just open up our hearts to receive God's simple truths today and allow him the space to, to move and work in our hearts. So Lord, this time is yours, this place is yours, and our hearts are yours. And we are so grateful and so thankful for your presence here today and for the big and the small ways that you're going to show up. Amen. Right, so something I want us to start thinking about as I begin is how does God work? How is he working in your life and how is he moving in your story? Because we know that he is the creator and the author of everything, so he is moving and he is in your story. And... God is in your story. Declare that of yourselves today because it's true. Even when we may feel small or insignificant or sometimes think to ourselves, what could God possibly do through me? Remember that yes, he is a big God and he works in the big, but he also works in the small. And he's always doing more than we can see. 
um, and he's working in your life, and if he's working in your life, then your story is a God story. And today we're going to have a look at a beautiful God story in the Old Testament in the book of Ruth. But before we get there, we're going to head to Matthew, where we're going to look at uh, the first chapter where we find the genealogy of Jesus. And this is basically the story of Jesus' lineage. Am I pushing the right button? The middle one? Ah, or the big button. (laughs) Okay, so that's a lot to look at, but it's basically the family tree of Jesus, or a long list of names, and it's showing how God worked and presented his son to the world through the lives of ordinary people, just like you and me, through the lives of normal, problematic human beings whose stories were messy and challenging, but whose roots of faith were in God and his promises. And this is just such a beautiful illustration of how it can be so easy to look at the messiness and the challenges in our day-to-day lives and think of our stories as too ordinary for God to use. But clearly, he chooses to use our ordinary stories for his extraordinary purposes. And I think most of us can relate that in our day-to-day, it can get so easy to get caught up in our routine, uh, to, you know, get so invested in the little things and get caught up in all of the day-to-day tasks. And our lives can almost become a little bit like reading a genealogy. Uh, Reading a long list of names like this can become a little bit monotonous. And sometimes we can treat our lives like that as well, almost like a to-do list. And we just go through the motions, and we don't notice and appreciate all the beautiful, fine details that goes into it. And when we get caught up in this type of cycle, it becomes so easy to overlook and miss all of the beautiful details of God at work. So today, I'd like to really just slow down and posture our hearts to take a closer look and notice that God is in the details of the big picture. And what better way to do this than by looking at the way in which he worked to bring about his son on earth. So in the genealogy of Jesus, we're looking at Matthew 1 verse 5, just one verse out of that whole genealogy. Um, And we're keeping it nice and simple, but the amount of details that are packed into this one verse is just incredible. So let's have a look at it. It says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Okay, so if you're anything like me, you might read a verse like that, and you're pretty eager to do a little bit like a hop, skip, and jump over the next couple of verses to get to a more exciting part of Scripture. But if we take a closer look at the relationships represented in this one verse, we'll get to see the the fingerprints of God at work and just how present he is in every detail of the story. There are two relationships represented in this verse that I want to look at. It's Salmon and Rahab, and then Boaz and Ruth. And we're going to have a look at Ruth in more detail, but to just explain a little bit more about the dynamics of these relationships, Salmon and Rahab are husband and wife. They have a son named Boaz, and that name might sound familiar to you if you've read the book of Ruth, because Boaz marries Ruth. And they then have a son named Obed. Obed then fathers Jesse, Jesse then fathers David, and we know David becomes King David, 
And through this, the prophecy is fulfilled that the Messiah would come through the line of David, through his family line. So we can see through this genealogy that Ruth is the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. She is a part of his story, so her story is Jesus' story, but it didn't always look like a God story. And we're going to jump into that now, and hopefully you'll begin to see how her simple macro story forms part of God's incredible macro story. And the same is true for you and me. So when we open up our Bibles to the book of Ruth, you'll notice it's a very small book, only four chapters long, only 85 verses. It's a very small story, but God is working in it and his fingerprints are everywhere. Something to note in the book of Ruth is that there are no big God moments. God is present and he is moving in the story, don't get me wrong, but there's no huge miracles. There's no direct instruction or vision straight from God. There's no special revelation, but there are people and relationships and ordinary day-to-day challenges, very similar to yours and my lives. Ruth's story begins with her marriage to a man from Bethlehem. Uh, She herself is a Moabite woman who is living in Moab at the time, and so she's a foreigner, and she worships other gods. Then she marries into an Israelite family, and while this family is living in Moab, the father of the family, Ruth's father-in-law, dies. His name is Elimelech, and so do his two sons, which means that Ruth's husband has now passed away, and she is widowed. She is left with her mother-in-law, whose name is Naomi, and she's also just been widowed. So now you have these two women, and life looked very bleak for a widow back then. It wasn't very easy, and they did not have many choices. So Naomi decides, the mother-in-law decides to leave Moab, and she decides to go back to Bethlehem, where she's from. And Ruth is faced with a dilemma. She's left with Naomi. What does she do? Does she stay in Moab? in her hometown where she's from, she's comfortable, she knows all the people, um, and does she continue worshiping her gods? Or does she follow Naomi? Does she remain faithful to her, even though it means giving up everything she has ever known to move to a new place with new people where she would most likely be seen as a foreigner and an outcast? So it sounds like a very tough decision And through this dilemma, we can see that Ruth makes a choice that secures her position in the lineage of Christ. She says to Naomi, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Ruth chooses to follow Naomi, and she chooses to follow God. And God used the ordinary challenges, the personal tragedies in their lives to bring and draw Ruth and Naomi back to Israel, to bring them back into his greater plan. Uh, And we know in Romans 8.28, it says, all things God works, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And this is just such a beautiful reminder that we all have been called according to God's purpose. And our stories are part of his greater story. And God promises to work through everything, including the ordinary, not just the extraordinary, if we choose to follow him and love him and put our faith and our trust in him, just like Ruth did. 
So back to the story, Ruth and Naomi, the two women then travel together. They go to Bethlehem, and when they're there, uh, desperate and with limited options, Ruth decides to begin working in the fields. Uh, she's gathering the leftover grain with all the other poor citizens. And she was probably in one of the lowest points in her life, and yet she chooses to spend her days gleaning in the fields, working hard and humbly in the face of her challenges. So my question for you is, what is your gleaning? What is something that you find yourself doing daily? It's not glamorous and it's nothing special, but it's part of your everyday routine. For me, it looks like going to varsity or going to lectures every day. Uh, for you, it might be going to work, going to school, attending meetings, uh, going to the grocery shops to buy food for your family every week. Whatever it is, whatever your ordinary act of gleaning is, there's a reason for it and God wants to use it. If we continue in Ruth's story, scripture says, as it turned out, or other trans uh, translations say, it just so happened, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. This was not a coincidence. It's not by chance that Ruth was working in Boaz's field. This was God orchestrating all of it. And when we're faced with difficulties and tough things in life, God can sometimes move the mountain, and sometimes he does, but sometimes the mountain stays exactly where it is, and we find ourselves in the fields, gleaning, working through the difficulties. God leads Ruth into this field, into Boaz's field, and there, Boaz notices Ruth working in the field, doing this mundane work. And this is where God works in the biggest way in Ruth's story, in her mundane. Because Boaz was not just another ordinary man from Bethlehem. He was from the clan of Elimelech, who was Ruth's previous father-in-law, her previous family. And without going into too much details or depth here, this basically meant that Boaz was Ruth's family redeemer or her kinsman redeemer. And he was able to marry her and restore her. How beautiful is that? God used gleaning, the ordinary act of gleaning, to connect Boaz and Ruth together. And he uses our ordinary acts as well for his extraordinary purposes. And just like, God, uh, just like Boaz noticed Ruth in the field, God notices us in the mundane. And he honors our faithfulness and he works through our story. So I want to encourage you today, wherever you find yourself, be faithful wherever it is, regardless of how mundane that place is. Because God wants to use your obedience and he wants to use your faithfulness for his grand plans. A friend recently shared a quote by Tyler Staten, and I think someone, I think Sue might have mentioned this as well in one of her previous um, preachers. And the part that just really struck out to me was, we tend to miss God in our midst, not because he is too extraordinary, but because he is too ordinary. The evidence of God's touch whispers, not shouts. And it's so easy to miss because it's in the ordinary, in the everyday. He works in the daily and the mundane, and when we take time to notice and appreciate these things, they become the divine and the miraculous in our lives. 
And God wants to work in our small stories, and he wants to use our small stories for his big stories. Your hope and your future are already written, and it's all in the details. And reading Ruth, the details of God go unnoticed until we take a closer look. And her story asks us to do the same in our lives. Embrace your daily routines and seek God in the mundane. Ask him to help you recognize his hand at work in the ordinary moments of your life. And as you go into your week, don't limit God to only the big moments because he's in all of it. He's in the big, in the small, in the ordinary, in the extraordinary. His presence is a quiet whisper, but there are details that we can look for to witness it in our lives. Thank you. Can we just thank these guys again for that awesome word? Thank you, guys. Can I ask the worship team to just, um, the, yeah, the two of you ever coming to do the ministry time? Um, we're going to have a time of ministry now. Um, we're going to ask the ministry team just to come up. We're going to have a worship song just to close out the service. Um, if you do need ministry, it doesn't have to be applicable to today's message at all, but if it is, if your heart's stirred, and you want someone to come pray over you, um, just we'll be at the front, just please come forward. If you need prayer for healing, for anything, if you're just looking for a miracle in your life, if it's a mundane thing, whatever it is, we would love to pray for you. Don't leave before you get prayer from us. Um, yeah, we'd really encourage you to come to the front. Let us pray for you. We are community here. But if not, um, this is the end of the service. So thank you everyone for, um, yeah, for joining us this morning. Have a blessed week. Um, please help yourself. There's going to be cappuccinos and samosas and all of that outside. Um, so have an absolutely fantastic week. Thank you, guys.